The scripture reading is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Luke 2, 1 through 20. I'm aware that you had a sermon this morning on Luke 2, verse 19. Tonight we will have Luke 2, verses 1 through 7. Luke 2, verses 1 through 7. A bit of a, a, bit of a different focus than this morning. Keep in mind that in chapter 1, that's the chapter where God by an angel revealed to Mary that she would have the Christ child. The Holy Spirit would come upon her and make her pregnant with the Christ child. And she praises God in a song for that. And then Zacharias, we read of him praising God in song for that too. The birth of the Son of God come in the flesh, or at least the news that it's coming. And now in Luke chapter 2, we read of the actual birth of Christ. So we start at verse 1. It came to pass, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary as his spouse wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go, even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary, and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things, and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. And so far do we read God's word this afternoon. The text again is verses 1 through 7. 1 through 7. I won't reread those due to the length, but we'll refer to them throughout the sermon. Luke chapter 1, 
gives the reader the expectation that something great is about to happen. It indicates that someone special is about to be born. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 32, the angel said to Mary, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And in verse 35, the angel tells her that the one born of her shall be called the Son of God. Mary's cousin Elizabeth, when she visited Mary according to Luke chapter 1, she said about the one in Mary's womb, that's my Lord. She called, it her, she called the child her Lord. And Mary, when she sang after she heard the news from the angel, she rejoiced in God her Savior. And Zacharias in his song at the end of Luke 1, he speaks of this child in Mary's womb as the day spring from on high and the horn of salvation. So if you were reading Luke 1 for the first time, you would say the birth of someone great is about to take place. And it will certainly, you'd think, it will certainly take place in greatness. Surrounded by important people in an important place. Then you get to Luke 2. And Luke 2 shows that the birth of this great one did not take place in greatness. No, it, it took place in the small village of Bethlehem. And the birth happened in a cattle stall. The baby was wrapped in, in rags and put in a, a feeding trough for animals. And one reading this for the first time, Luke 2 for the first time, might wonder, was this really the way that the Son of God came into the world? And it really is. And it, and it was supposed to be this way. Already here, Jesus showed, right here in Luke 2, he already showed here he was not coming to be an earthly king, but coming to save his people from sin through suffering. As we see Christ's great work of salvation today, may we be strengthened to praise and, and adore our Savior as we see what He really did for us in His humility coming here to save us. Let's consider the text under the theme, The Savior's Lowly Birth. The Savior's Lowly Birth. First, the sovereign decree. Second, the humble birth. And third, the great salvation. First, the sovereign decree. In the text, we don't read directly about God. But we do read about a Roman emperor named Caesar Augustus who made a decree about taxation. Luke chapter 2 verse 1 says, It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now this Caesar was the Roman emperor from 27 B.C. to 14 A.D. And he was the, well, his great uncle was Julius Caesar, and Julius Caesar picked this Caesar Augustus as his 
successor. And Caesar Augustus then had rule over the inhabited world of that day. And that included the Jews in Palestine. The Romans, the Romans were the world power. Caesar Augustus was the emperor. And he made a decree. He made an official order. That's what a decree is, an official order regarding taxation. He decided to tax the people in his whole huge kingdom. And that meant that the people had to take some of their income and pay it to the government. And Caesar would then do with that money as he pleased. Maybe some would go towards the good of the empire. Maybe some would go towards himself. He did with it as he saw fit. The word tax or taxing in verses 1 through 3 actually means registered. So at the end of verse 1, the original language reads, this decree came from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Caesar decreed that the people in the kingdom must be registered or enrolled for the purpose that they would then be taxed. Really what we read about here is a, a census. The people all had to be enrolled, registered, and then they could be taxed. Now, this wasn't easy for the Jews. It's not something that they particularly liked. Many in Judah at this time were, were not wealthy. They were poor, and now they were taking some of their hard-earned money and they were giving it to a foreign power, the Romans. It wasn't easy. Augustus himself, he didn't organize the taxation, but this was the work of local governors and kings who had to answer to Caesar Augustus. That's why verse 2 speaks of Cyrenius, the governor of Syria. At that time in history, Cyrenius must have been the one who really oversaw what was happening in the, the area of Palestine, was especially in charge of the registration of the people for taxation. According to verses 3 and 4, the people, including Mary and Joseph, all the people in the empire, including Joseph and Mary, they had to go to their own city to be registered. Now, one's own city was not the city that he lived in currently, but one's own city was the city of his ancestors. That is the city that his family originally came from. And, and that was because the reason they had to go there to register was that the family records were all kept in the place where the families originally came from. So in Joseph's case, he had to go to Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. He was from David's family. And King David came from Bethlehem. Mary was also from the house of David, and she would be registered along with her husband, Joseph. So Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem to register for this taxation, and they went when Mary was great with child, according to verse 5, meaning that she was pregnant. Now, they lived in Nazareth, Joseph and Mary did, and Nazareth was in the northern part of Galilee. Bethlehem was in the southern part of Judah, 90 miles from Nazareth. 
fairly long journey. To get to Bethlehem, kids understand that they could not get in a car and go that 90 miles. That would go pretty quickly. They couldn't just get in a car. They didn't have cars then. So to get from Nazareth up here to Bethlehem in the south, they had to go on a donkey. That was the way most of the people went, riding on the back of a donkey. And it would take three, between three to five days to go that 90-mile route on the back of a donkey. And they had to do this, remember, while Mary was great with child, while she was pregnant. Because of the timing of the decree, and maybe because of Joseph's work, they couldn't, leave, they couldn't have left any earlier than what they did, and they couldn't have left any later. The timing of this trip, though, must have seemed inconvenient. And mothers, you can understand that. Getting on the back of a donkey and riding on that donkey when you're in the last stages of pregnancy, doing that for three to five days. Not very convenient is what you would probably think be hard. So they went to Bethlehem. They went there to register for the taxation according to the decree of Emperor Caesar Augustus. Now that decree of Caesar that the text speaks of, that decree was the means by which God executed his sovereign decree. And I'll say that again. Listen, that decree of Caesar was the means by which God executed his sovereign decree. God decreed or ordered that's what it means. That God decreed something means he ordered it in eternity. God decreed or ordered that Christ would be born in Bethlehem many, many years before the events of Luke 2. Well, actually, well, he gave that decree in eternity and he made known his decree many years before the events of Luke 2. He revealed that Christ would be born in Bethlehem to Micah the prophet. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. And Micah was written 700 years before Luke 2. Micah 5 verse 2 says, But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. So Micah 5 verse 2, this Old Testament passage, shows that it was God's decree that Christ would be born in Bethlehem. That's what he had ordered before the world began. And we know from Scripture that God's decree always comes to pass because he is the almighty God. Caesar did not know about God's decree. He didn't know about Micah 5, verse 2. But God made Caesar's decree that he made about taxation. God made that decree serve his decree. Think about it this way. Joseph and Mary, they lived far away from Bethlehem. They lived in Nazareth. And they would not normally make a journey to Bethlehem at this time in their lives. Mary was pregnant. 
in the later stages of her pregnancy. And the distance from Nazareth to Bethlehem was 90 miles, three to five days journey sitting on the back of a donkey. It's hard to travel that far. It's hard to go that far on the back of a donkey, especially in pregnancy. If Joseph and Mary had the choice, they would have stayed in Nazareth. And God's word, his decree, would not have come to pass. However, in eternity, God sovereignly decreed that Christ would be born in Bethlehem. So that's the way it was going to happen. God had determined in eternity that Caesar would demand that the people register for taxation in their own city. God determined in eternity that Joseph and Mary would take heed to that order and go down to their own city, Bethlehem. God decreed it, and in time and history, by his providence, God made that, those exact things to happen. God, the providential God who controls and governs all things, he caused Caesar to make that decree. He caused Joseph and Mary to follow that decree and go to Bethlehem. He sovereignly controlled it. So from this history, we learn a couple things about God's decree and his providential rule over all things. A couple things. First, what's difficult for us God's people, God makes to serve to our good. What's difficult for us, God makes to serve to our good. Mothers, if you were in the last weeks of pregnancy and your husband told you that you were going to go on a 90-mile journey, uh, sitting on the back of a donkey, and it would take three to five days, what would you say? What would you think? You think that'd be hard. That's difficult. Well, Mary was put in that difficult situation. But God was causing this difficult situation to serve to the birth of the Savior. He was using that difficult thing in Mary's life to serve to the bringing about of the Savior's birth. So when we are tempted to complain about difficult circumstances in our lives, we must remember that God causes all these troubles, even the, these little inconveniences in our life, He causes all of that to serve to our good, even to our salvation. God's wise. Second, about God's rule and His decree. We see here in Luke 2, in Luke 2 1-7, through 7, that God controls the decrees of governments, even wicked governments, and makes them to serve to the good of his church. Caesar Augustus was a wicked tyrant. We know that the government today has many wicked men involved, men that are dishonest, men that even promote terrible sins like homosexuality, Yet understand this, this is wonderful comfort. God, as he did with Caesar Augustus, he causes these leaders and the leaders of the future, he causes them unknowingly to serve to the good of his 
church. He does. Even when they bring persecution someday. That will only serve to the purification of the church. That will only serve to bring our children and grandchildren in Christ to depend more and more upon God for all their needs. And to realize they're not in control, God is. Lean on Him and serve Him. God decreed where Christ would be born. God, sovereign God, also decreed the timing. He decreed when this birth would occur. Mary noticed to not have the baby just a few miles short of Bethlehem in Jerusalem. God decreed that Mary would get to Bethlehem and have the child there. And he sovereignly controlled everything according to that decree. So that Jesus was born while they were there. Verse 6 says, while they were there, that is Bethlehem, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. That word accomplished in verse 6, it literally means filled up. While they were there, the days were filled up that she should be delivered. The idea is that God has a certain timetable. And as time continues... Time is filled up and a fullness is reached. Well, verse 6 says the fullness of days, the fullness of time had come. And now the Christ was born. Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 and 5 also teaches that God determined the exact time of Christ's birth. And it was when those days were filled up that he was born. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So God in eternity decreed the timing of Christ's birth. And He sovereignly controlled everything so that Christ was born exactly when He was. God controlled the timing of Christ's conception and the timing of Augustus' decree. God controlled it all so that Joseph and Mary were in Bethlehem when Mary started to have those strong and got stronger contractions and then had the baby. He controlled it all so it happened then, when they were there. So Christ's birth you see from the text, was done in God's time. It wasn't done in, in Mary's time. From Mary's perspective or from her point of view, the timing was inconvenient. They were on a trip. They were far from home. But from God's perspective, it was the perfect time. And Christ's birth happened exactly at the right time for the salvation of all God's elect people. You think of even some of those who were saved by Christ while he was on this earth, when he spoke to them, spoke the gospel to them, Christ came, he came just at the right time for the salvation of all of his people. God's wise. He's wise. He sovereignly controls everything that happens in our lives so that it all happens 
when he planned it to happen. And it's always for our good. It's important to understand because as you know, I know there are many events in our lives about which we might say that was bad timing. That was bad timing. We have to remember that God has decreed everything to happen at a certain time. And he controls it all so it happens at that time and it's for our good. Maybe this past week as you tried to drive maybe in some of the the winter storms that have come through this area and beyond, you maybe say this was bad timing bad timing for a winter storm like this. I was tempted to think that on my drive down here when it started snowing. This is bad timing. But really it's not. It's the exact right timing and that God uses for our good. For instance, even with the winter storm, He sends it at the exact time He did so that we see that we need Him to provide safety. We need Him to provide strength to drive through it and keep us safe. We're reminded He's in control and He's to be served. It's for our good. And kids, maybe there are times where your parents come in and they catch you doing something that you shouldn't be doing. And you might think, well, that was bad timing. No, it was decreed by God to happen exactly that way. It was just the right timing so that you're led to see your sin your need for Jesus Christ, pointed to Him and directed to Him and shown how you must turn. It's for your good. You see how wise God is when you think of His decree of all things and then His sovereign control of it all according to that eternal decree. What a wise God He is. Praise be to Him. The great Savior, he was born according to God's sovereign decree, and he was born in lowly circumstances. Lowly circumstances. Verse 7 gives us a few details. It says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Consider the birthplace here for a moment, the lowly birthplace. When, when Joseph and Mary arrived in Bethlehem, you can imagine Joseph searching for a clean, somewhat clean, dry, safe place for his pregnant wife to stay that night. But the town of Bethlehem was full. It was full. Luke speaks in verse 7 about an inn there. And when you read about an inn in verse 7, Don't think of the Holiday Inn or a hotel. An inn in those days was likely just a a simple shelter built on the side of someone's house. And that shelter could house people that, that were passing through the village, could house them for the night. But the owner likely didn't provide any food, didn't provide any bedding like pillows and blankets. It was much different than a hotel today. You had to provide those things for yourself. And likely there was a place just outside that shelter to tie up your donkey. 
There wasn't much more than that. It did provide a place to stay, usually a cleaner place to stay. But the problem for Joseph and Mary was there was no room in Bethlehem for them. The, the city was full of Roman officials who had come to watch over the registration for taxation. And there, was, there were Jews who had come to Bethlehem because this was where their forefathers were from and they'd come there to register for the taxation just like Joseph and Mary had done. The town was full. There wasn't any room for them at, at somebody's home. There wasn't any room for them in the inn that some would stay at. And therefore, Joseph and Mary's only option, only option was to spend that night that they arrived with animals. We know that because of the word manger in verse 7. The word manger in verse 7. We read that she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, a manger is a feeding trough for animals. Animals get their food out of that feeding trough. It's a little box, probably made of wood. Because of that word manger, we know that the shelter that they stayed in that night was a shelter for animals. Likely a stable. And many would say that it was probably a, a cave on the outskirts of the town of Bethlehem. And that's because that's where, in, in these caves in the side of, sides of the hills, on the out, just on the outskirts of Bethlehem, many people would keep their animals. If they had come and they were passing through Bethlehem but they needed a place to stay, they, they had many animals, they'd put those animals in these little caves just, out, just on the outskirts of the town for the night. And that's likely where Joseph and Mary stayed that night. And we can imagine a bit of what that must have been like. And as we think of what that environment was, think about where your children were born in comparison. That shelter must have been dirty and smelly. Joseph probably, when they got inside that shelter, he probably found a, a, a place in the corner and, and brushed some of the dirt away so that his pregnant wife could have a somewhat clean place to sit. But this was a, a shelter for animals. You could smell them and smell their waste. You know what that's like being in a barn. That's what they smell. That's obviously much different than the sanitary hospital rooms in which our children are born. And instead of having doctors and nurses to help, Joseph was the only one there with Mary. And instead of having a, a nice cradle and warm blankets and a nice warm hat and a, a cozy nursery for the child, they were in this unheated shelter with animals. And it's in that environment that Mary brought forth her firstborn son in an ordinary way. In an ordinary way. Luke doesn't tell us many details about the actual birth, but he simply says in, in verses 6 and 7, he says, While they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son. 
That's what it says. She brought forth her firstborn son. That doesn't sound any different than the way that our children are born. And that animal shelter, Mary began to have contractions, and they got stronger and stronger, and eventually the child came forth, covered in amniotic fluid and mucus and blood, and the umbilical cord was then cut. And Joseph probably took that child and washed that child as best he could and handed him back to Mother Mary. Mary wrapped that child in swaddling clothes and then laid him in a manger. Swaddling clothes are really strips of cloth. That's the word there in the original language. It just refers to strips of cloth that they would use to restrict the movements of that newborn babe and probably keep the baby somewhat warm. She wrapped him up in those clothes and then laid him in the feeding trough. So kids, you think at your home of maybe you have a younger brother or sister of the nice crib for that, that baby. Well, when, when Mary, when she took her baby and, and wrapped up in swaddling clothes, she put that baby not in a nice cradle. She put him in a, in a feeding trough for animals. And she probably put straw down first or hay, but that's where Jesus went when he was a small baby. And throughout the night, contrary to what popular hymns, a popular hymn says, Jesus, it's certain that he cried. He cried to make known that he was hungry or cried to make known that he was cold. How else would a little infant like that make those things known? He cried. Mary and Joseph did all they could to care for that helpless infant. What a lowly birth. You think of that. What a lowly birth that was for the Son of God come in the flesh. This was indeed the Son of God come in the flesh. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, chapter before, the angel said to Mary, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. The miracle of the incarnation had happened about nine months before the events of Luke 2. By the Spirit, the Son had so operated upon the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary that she became pregnant. And the son caused his own flesh and blood to develop from her. He developed in Mary in his human nature. And after about nine months, he was born. Amazing. This was the son of God come in the flesh. This is the eternal and almighty son of God. This one was involved in the creation of all things. He dwelled in great glory in heaven. And here he was. Come in the flesh. What a lowly birth. The fact that the Son of God took on flesh and was born, that itself is astounding. The Son of God came in flesh and was born. The eternal Son of God bound himself to time. The Almighty Son of God who was involved in the creation of all things, 
He became a baby lying there in that manger. The glorious Son of God. He came from heaven where He was perfectly honored. He came in the flesh down to this sin-cursed earth, into a stable. The fact that the Son of God took upon flesh, Himself flesh, and was born, that's astounding. But then think of how lowly this great one's birth was. How lowly it was. He wasn't born in a palace in Jerusalem with a great large group of people right outside the door waiting to hear the news and then go spread that news. Think of how a child born in the royal family today, how that child is treated. Jesus wasn't born in a palace like that. He was born in a dirty stable, wrapped in swaddling clothes with nobody waiting outside to adore him and proclaim his birth. There were no angels there either. So think of what that must have been like for him. Think of this great one who had come down from heaven. He, in the flesh, he opened his eyes. And this great one saw a a, a dirty barn. This great one had those dirty smells filling his nose. And he experienced hunger there and he cried. This is the Son of God come in the flesh. There was nothing about Christ either as an infant that looked spectacular. But there was nothing about him that made him look any different than an ordinary child. Isaiah 53 verse 2 prophesies, He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Son of God come in the flesh, he looked like an ordinary little infant. And he was born in poverty. Why? Why? The answer is wonderful. The answer leads us as people to praise him today. Jesus was born in these lowly circumstances because he came to save us through suffering. He was born in these lowly circumstances because He came to save you and He came to save me. came to save us as children through suffering. Jesus was born to save His people from their sins. That's what the angel told Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. The angel told Mary there, Thou shalt bring forth a son and shalt call His name Jesus. What does Jesus mean? Jesus means Jehovah saves. The angel was saying, Mary, this one that you will have is Jehovah come in the flesh who saves his people. And the angel came to Joseph according to Matthew 1 verse 21 and said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. And so the story of Jesus' birth that we've heard today is not just this feel-good, sentimental story No, the message, the message in the story of Jesus' birth is that we are so sinful that it took God becoming man to save us. We could not be saved in any other way. It took God becoming man to save us from our horrible sins. Jesus came to save us through suffering and humiliation. 
And that's why he was born in such lowly circumstances, the circumstances we just heard about. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, Paul says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Again, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. It says, Christ became poor. Part of what that means is that he became poor physically. He became poor physically already at his birth. He was born in poverty, as we've seen. Christ especially, though, became poor spiritually. Poor spiritually as one who took upon himself all the sins or debts of his people. He became poor spiritually in God's sight as the one who took our debts on himself. Because he was poor spiritually in God's sight, having our sins, our debts on him, he suffered physically and he experienced poverty and humiliation on this earth. He experienced that suffering, that poverty, that humiliation all under the wrath of God as the one who had our sins on himself. So according to 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, Christ became poor so that we might be rich. That is, rich in righteousness before God. By ourselves, we're poor spiritually before God. Guilty sinners before him. Great debts. But Jesus came and suffered from his birth all the way to his death so that we might be rich spiritually before God. Amazing. What an amazing Savior. And as the Savior and Redeemer, Jesus now makes room for himself in our hearts and lives there. No men, including us, have room for Jesus in our hearts of ourselves. At Jesus' birth, there was no room for him in the inn, according to verse 7. You're familiar with that phrase. There was no room for him in the inn. Well, that was a sign of what Jesus' life on this earth would be like. There was no room for him in the hearts and lives of men left to themselves. Just think of his birth. There, there at his birth were not people flocking to see him. Even a, almost a couple years later when the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem wondering where this Savior was, nobody knew. They hate, they, they, men left to themselves, they weren't looking for him. They didn't know anything about where he was. There was no room for Jesus when he got older either. Oh, there seemed to be lots of interest in him, especially interest in those miracles. But when Jesus made it very plain that he was not going to be an earthly king, but instead a spiritual savior, people got angry. They rejected him. They brought him to death. Now that was all done according to God's sovereign decree, for Christ was to suffer and die in order to save his people from sin. 
and the hell they deserve. Today also, there's no room in the hearts of men themselves. Left to themselves, men don't believe in Jesus for salvation. They even hear about Luke 2 and they, they say, really, is someone who's the son of God was born of a virgin? And he lived on this earth and his death paid for sin? Man says it's a fairy tale. Man does not believe in Jesus for salvation from sin himself. The fact that there was no room in the inn of Bethlehem, that's symbolic, symbolic of how men have no room in their hearts for Jesus as they are of themselves. And why is it that way? Well, it's because men are totally depraved by nature. Men are totally depraved by nature. That means that men by nature are full of sin and full of unbelief. They want nothing to do with the Savior from sin. They're, they're only interested in someone who might be able to help them with some earthly things or give them some earthly comforts. Nothing. They aren't interested in a Savior from sin. And that's, that's not just men out there, remember? Really think, that's how you and that's how I am by nature. I have no room for Christ in my heart, and I'll never make room for him left to myself. I'll never believe in him. I'll only reject him. We need Jesus to make room for himself in our hearts, and amazingly, he, he does that. He does that. He's the redeemer of his people. He came here and suffered and died to pay the ransom price. And now, based on that ransom price paid, he frees his people from bondage to sin and unbelief. He comes and dwells in the hearts of his people and works in them to believe. That's what his word teaches. Kids, you've heard of Lydia, the seller of purple. Acts chapter 16, verse 14, describes Lydia. And describes that believer, Lydia, as one, this is a quote, as one whose heart the Lord opened. That's what God does with his people. Apply that now. Christ has opened our closed hearts and he lives in them. That's why we believe. That's why we want to worship him today. If you don't believe in him for all of your salvation, believe in him today. Believe in him. And if you do believe, recognize it's only because God, Christ has made room for himself in your heart. And Christ dwells in that heart and works in you to believe. Salvation is indeed of the Lord. It's not of him that willeth or of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Praise him. And as you think of Jesus' birth throughout the rest of this day and as with your family, Praise the Savior. He came in a lowly way to suffer and die to pay for all of our sins for which we deserve hell. That great one came in such a lowly way. Suffer and die for us.
that same great one, he now makes room for himself in our hearts. He dwells there. That's why we believe. Praise that great Savior. Adore him. Adore him in your whole life. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father which art in heaven, Lord, we come before thee thankful for the wonderful news of the Savior Jesus Christ and what he's done. We thank thee that that great one came here in the flesh and went through such humiliation and suffering all to pay for our many sins that we might have eternal salvation. And he now even works in our hearts so that we know thee and believe. Lord, what a, what a redeemer is ours. May we adore him. In Jesus' name, amen.